Today in the Joy in the Word podcast, we pick up in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 11. It begins with Jesus teaching on prayer. And we did read about this in the Gospel of Matthew. It actually begins with the Lord's Prayer, which can be found in its entirety in Matthew chapter 6. It says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And like I said, the full version of the Lord's Prayer can be found in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 6. And it says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Picking back up in chapter 11, as the Lord's Prayer ends, he goes on to say, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The next portion of this chapter is entitled Jesus and Beelzebub. And we read about this in both Matthew and in Mark. It says Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So 
he's explaining here that a house divided against itself cannot stand and Satan would be supporting attack upon himself if he were given Jesus this authority. Jesus goes on to say in verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. So this indicates the fact that the man had obviously removed the demon from his life, but he never allowed the presence of God to fill the space. Therefore, it was left vacant. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, in the next part of this chapter, Jesus is responding to the people asking for a sign. It's called the sign of Jonah. We read about this in Matthew. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. You'll remember that Jonah was sent to the Assyrians in Nineveh and that they repented, even the king repented, and they were changed for a time. Now moving on to the lamp of the body. We write about this in Matthew. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or hides it under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of a lamp shines on you. The next portion of the chapter is entitled Six Woes. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. And this would have been referring to a ceremonial cleansing not required by the law, but added only in the tradition of the Pharisees. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. 
You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without knowing it. So what does that mean? According to biblical scholars, the Jews whitewashed their tombs so that no one would accidentally touch them and be defiled. So I want to flip to the prophet Ezekiel and read you a few things from there that Jesus is referring to. In Ezekiel chapter 13, this is Ezekiel speaking, the Lord speaking through him. I will tear down the walls you have covered with whitewash. So I will spin my wrath against the wall and against those who covered it with whitewash. And then in Ezekiel chapter 22, let's pick up in 26, speaking about Jerusalem, it says, Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean, and they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves teaching their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. So you can see here when Jesus is referring to the whitewashing of these unmarked graves, that he does not take lightly the thing that he is saying that these Pharisees do. Moving on to verse 45, one of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you, because you build tombs for the prophets, and it was your forefathers who killed them. So you testify that you approve of what your forefathers did. They killed the prophets, and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill, and others they will persecute. Therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that had been shed since the beginning of the world. He says this goes all the way from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. You'll remember from Matthew we discussed this. Abel obviously was killed by his brother Cain, and that was recorded in the book of Genesis in chapter 4. And then Zechariah was the son of Jehoiada. That was the story that we read in Second Chronicles in chapter 24. Basically, Jesus is just saying from beginning to end, from the first to the last, every single person that died unnecessarily. So from beginning to end, Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. 
Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. When Jesus left there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something that he might say. That ends chapter 11. We'll pick up next time in chapter 12.